A year later, ACC basketball returns to Greensboro. The conference tournament bracket is set, and Virginia has the top seed. Virginia Tech finished third in the regular season, but it hasn't played since February 27th. We'll take a look at the Who's, the Hokies, the league's player of the year, coach of the year, all that and much, much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 44 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's UVA, Virginia Tech, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here joining me, as he always does, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, that's a mouthful, Mr. David Teal. <laughs> David, how are you this morning? I'm doing great, Mike. Hope you're doing the same. Just uh, ready to get some laundry done and pack the bags. That sounds good. I'm, I'm racing to finish some home improvement product projects before I leave for Greensboro. And uh, David probably knows this. Some of our listeners may not. I am not a handy person. Uh, my dad was one of those fixed build could do anything. I did not inherit that. Uh, and yesterday when I took out my circular saw to, to finish off one of my jobs, I sawed through the power cord uh, of my circular saw. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of my handyman skills. Mike, here's an idea of my handyman skills. I would never even remotely consider purchasing a power saw, let alone operating one. <laughs> well, not only did I operate it and poorly, I then had to run to Lowe's and buy a new one, uh, even though my friends who were far handier than I am said, oh, you can repair that severed cord. And they started sending me directions for how to uh, reattach the wires. And I was like, this this ends with an electrocution. I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to fork over the 80 bucks and buy a new circular saw. Right. Uh, electrocution or a 911 call, the Charlottesville <laughs> Fire Department. Whatever it was it was going to be a disruption to my Sunday so that's not the way we went with it now we're racing to get all this done because later this week we're both heading to Greensboro for the ACC basketball tournament man it feels good to say that doesn't it it, sh- it sure does and you know a, a year ago we we were there when the whole world shut down and it feels like more than a year doesn't it it really does you, you know in some ways it seems like we just started this pandemic um, but it, it, when you think about it with uh, milestones like being there um, man it just feels like forever ago since we've really been on the road and, and doing the full scale of, of what we love although it won't be full scale in Greensboro will be uh, limited to Zoom interviews. We talked last week about we won't have the open locker room. Uh, I don't know what Mike Young mentioned on ACC Network this morning. I don't know if there'll be the big shared popcorn. No, uh, no there, there will not be. I imagine that is no longer one of the offerings, but uh, there will be basketball. There, w- there will be all these teams that we've had the chance to cover this year, um, and, and I just can't wait. Now, before we go forward and, and look to, to this week, let's talk a little bit, though, about that experience last year. And if you remember, Virginia Tech had just been eliminated. UVA was getting ready to play that night, I think, against Notre Dame yes. um, in front of what would have been no fans. And then all of a sudden, you snap your fingers and it was all over. Now, you wrote about it this week and kind of reminded us of some of the, the dominoes that fell in terms of other leagues and what happened in the NBA. And <laughs> Tom Hanks, you worked into your column. Uh, right? I mean, when, when, when Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson announced they had COVID, Mike, that's when the mess got real. 
I, I agree. It, it just started to hit home and it, it all happened so quickly um, in, in terms of falling apart, right? Like we saw it all week. It was every day was, are you going to play? Are there going to be fans? What are we doing with this? What are we doing with that? Mm-hmm. But the end, David, the end came quickly. It, it, no, it absolutely did. To the point, Mike, I was at the arena very, very early on that Thursday. It was March 12th, quarterfinal day. And we knew that there were going to be just fans, or excuse me, family and friends in the stands that day. And then Commissioner John Swafford was walking toward the ACC network set to talk with Mark Packer and West Durham about 9.30 that morning. And as he walked by, I, I said, Commissioner, are we playing today? He smiled, said, yes, we are. And within three hours, the whole thing had fallen apart. And, you know, college presidents were obviously having grave reservations. You know, the Rudy Gobert diagnosis had come the night previous. Then his teammate, Donovan Mitchell, and the balls just started rolling. And then the cancellation started. Southeastern Conference, American, Big Ten. And that's that's when you knew it was only a matter of time. And sure enough, with Clemson and Florida State on the floor, literally <laughs> moments from tip-off, and the game clock on the scoreboards winding down, Commissioner Swafford emerged from the tunnel and took the PA microphone and made the announcement that just felt inevitable, really. Yeah, it really did. And if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, John uh, Commissioner Swafford had a presser that morning to announce that they were playing. Yes. Right? Because I remember coming over mm-hmm. to the arena, attending that press conference, writing a story saying they're playing. Running home to, I can't remember if I was going to shower or change or um, walk on a treadmill. I don't know what I was doing, but I went back to the hotel. And by the time I got back to the hotel, it was clear that it was unraveling. The the, the thing that put me in my car coming back to the arena was, I think it was the the Big Ten or the SEC when one of them uh, canceled. That was when I said, okay, there's not going to be time to come back to the hotel and and walk on the treadmill or or take a shower. Uh, This is all going to be over uh, incredibly quickly. The other thing I remember is how long I stayed in the Greensboro Coliseum when it was over. And it was this weird thing, like not like I thought it was going to change again, right? They had made the decision. The teams were on their way home. Everybody was packing up and getting out of there. I just found myself like lingering, maybe because it was sort of historic, right? To, to be there for all that. Maybe because I thought, you know, hope beyond hopes they were going to change their mind and, and, and UVA and Notre Dame were going to still play that night. But um <laughs> I ended up doing a radio segment uh, with our friend Wes McElroy, and um, one of the things he asked me was why I was still still at the arena, and uh, it was just one of those deals where it was so strange, you kind of didn't know how to react or how to respond. No, you're absolutely right, and I too lingered uh, well into the evening and waiting on the inevitable NCAA announcement as well, and also to to pilfer some signage from the historic tournament that, that I had my eyes on and now sits here in, in the office and for which Mark Packer accuses me on national television of being a thief. But, and you know, I failed to come to your defense. I know, dude. You're you're doing your hit on ACC Network and you just let him call your co-worker oh, and friend a thief. I so much guilt. I, as soon as I hung up, I said, man, they just besmir- besmirched David Teal during my appearance. <laughs> 
once. And all I could do was kind of smile and agree and say that I was probably an accomplice and jealous of your collection. So I failed you and I, I apologize. <laughs> Apology noted and accepted and totally unnecessary. But, but no, it, it was, and, and I thought Chris Mack had an interesting description when I asked him about it on the Zoom last week because Louisville was getting ready to play, I believe, yes, the 9.30 quarterfinal against Syracuse. And he recalls just being back at the hotel and, you know, knowing that things were rolling and then the ACC tournament gets canceled. He said he was in a meeting still at the hotel with his AD, Vince Tyree, when the NCAA news came. And Max said it was like learning of a friend or a family member's sudden death, really. He said, you're just stunned and numb and you don't know how to react because you're just not prepared to process it all. And I think we, we all felt that way. We were confused and it, it just didn't make sense. And of course it didn't make sense. None of us has lived through a global pandemic and, and none of us could have envisioned what the subsequent 12 months would be like. Yeah, I think uh, to Chris Mack's point, if you haven't read uh, David's column, please check it out over the weekend. It was uh, excellent kind of looking back and getting some perspective from coaches and players on on their memories of uh, a year ago at this time. But it did feel like we were holding out hope maybe right? Like, okay, they're shutting down all the conference tournaments. They're going to get this thing right. And maybe we'll push it back a couple of weeks, but we're going to play an NCAA tournament. Obviously now looking back, that was just ignorant. I mean, that was a ridiculous long shot hope, but that is how it felt in the moment, right, David, that you're like, maybe we're, maybe there's a way to still pull this out. Well, to the point where John Swafford in awarding the regular season trophy to Florida State said, and you get our automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. Well, within within hours, that was rendered essentially useless because the NCAA canceled not only its winter championships, but the NCAA, you'll recall, Mike, canceled the entire spring championship schedule. You know that that very day, and you're that was surprising as well. You're thinking, whoa, you know, th- they've been talking to government types. And if, if it's that serious, then at that point, your main focus was to get home to your families and, and, and try to figure out what was going to happen from there because you're talking about school and work and what was going to happen in your communities. Absolutely. I remember driving back from Greensboro and thinking, okay, I need to get two weeks worth of toilet paper and a bunch of ground beef and chicken for the freezer, make sure we're set. Because at that point they were saying, you know, two, three weeks, you should be prepared to, to kind of isolate. And boy, we, we wish that could have been the case. Yeah, I laugh at that. Um, Swafford awarding the, the AQ, the automatic bid. Uh, it reminds me, I, I used to own a bar restaurant in Harrisonburg and I have a stack still in my desk uh, here of gift cards to the restaurant. Um, <laughs> they have different values, five, 10, 15, $20, and they're all worthless <laughs> because I no longer own the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much, I guess, what an automatic bid to last year's <laughs> NCA tournament. Now, this year, we're going to have an NCA tournament first. We're going to have an ACC tournament. Let's let's start talking about that because, I, like I said Absolutely. at the open, we are we are really looking forward to this event. Uh, UVA winning the regular season title, so they'll be the top seed uh, in the tournament coming up. David, 
UVA winning the championship wasn't really a storyline that was <laughs> on our radars when we woke up Saturday morning, right? That no. uh, we didn't see it coming. Notre Dame's upset of first place Florida State that opened the door uh, for Virginia to, to win the title third time in the last four years. Uh, but David, right? We, we didn't. That wasn't the storyline of the day going into it. No, not at all. I was. I was. I don't even know what I was doing Saturday, early Saturday afternoon, Mike, just kind of hanging out with Jill and Laura. And all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up, including a text from you, essentially saying, what in the heck is going on in South Bend? And I'm thinking to myself, what do you mean? I'm sure Florida State's kicking Notre Dame's butt. That's what's happening. (laughs) And and then I turned on the television, and I was like, oh, well, surely this is a mirage. And Notre Dame's blown big leads all year, and that's what's going to happen again. And it just didn't. Florida State looked lifeless. You know, the, the complete antithesis of the way the Seminoles have played all season. I was quite, quite surprised. The only reason I became aware of that situation, I knew that was the ACC game. And I said, well, that's a dog of a game. I'm not going to watch it. Let me see what else is on. I turned on the TV and it happened to be on the channel that had Notre Dame, Florida State. And I said, oh, oh, this is worth paying attention to, at least with one eye. (laughs) And it ended up getting both eyes. Because of that, Virginia, their game against Louisville, shot for the regular season title, and the Cavaliers, they didn't disappoint. Uh, Convincing performance, good on both ends of the floor. Sam Hauser, great again defensively, especially in the first half. I think they held Louisville to 27.6% from the floor, dialed in. So whatever else happens, UVA has found a way to persevere through what has to be the most unusual college basketball season ever. They still came out atop the ACC. Tony Bennett, he talked about that after the win Saturday. I'm so grateful. I really am because... Um, it's been a, a unique year to say the least, and we'll remember it always, and we'll put a, a mask on the ACC trophy for sure. So <laughs> That's a good line, actually. It's a great line. I love the little chuckle at the end. Yes. Uh, um, you always get that from Tony, but the, you know they, they have been through, through so much. Everybody in college sports to get to this point. Um, now UVA gets to this point atop the league. That's That's impressive, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's where we all predicted the Cavaliers would finish, but I don't think anyone really envisioned the path that UVA took, including that three-game losing streak and then to have Florida State open the door like that. But, Mike, Tony Bennett, as he continues to do almost every season, hits these milestones and and this outright regular season title unbalanced schedule duly noted is is another benchmark tony bennett is the first coach not to be at duke or north carolina and win at least four outright acc regular seasons and the list is dean smith with 12 mike shashevsky with 10 roy williams with seven and vic bubis with full that's pretty, the list it's pretty good and now list. tony bennett's on it it's it's remarkable what he has done in charlottesville yeah the, the consistency and, and i know you and i talked about this with clemson and alabama football but when you have a program that is as consistent as the top programs in the nation are they're best suited to navigate these uncharted waters, right? Correct. Everything about your program is so buttoned down. It's so proper. It's so right. Um, everything is organized and, and done a certain way. You're just in a better spot 
to get through the tough times. And I think that's what we saw here. Uh, and it's a credit to Tony Bennett and, and a credit to that Virginia program. And it, it, it's also a, a credit, Mike, to roster composition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you look at, at the Cavaliers from you know the starters to the, the reserves. This is an older team. And usually age equates to maturity. My case, my exception, duly noted as well. (laughs) But, you know, Jay Huff and Sam Hauser and Kihei Clark, I mean, these guys have seen a lot. Not that anyone has ever played during a pandemic, but just that seasoning, I believe, really, really. It's such a great point. And I think it's part of the reason. And there's a, a host of excuses for anybody who struggled with this, because like you said, we've never seen it. But when you think about a team like Duke, that what, mm-hmm. how do they do it, right? They bring in all these talented freshmen. Mike Krzyzewski is one of the best coaches in basketball history. And as the year goes on, uh, same thing in Kentucky with Calipari. As the year goes on, these teams come together and they find themselves and these young kids grow up. And I think it was just a lot harder to your point, going through the pandemic, dealing with everything else they're dealing with, all the uncertainty. This was a tough year to be a freshman <laughs> playing a college sports. And, and I think it showed up for teams like Duke and Kentucky. And to your point, I, I think it showed up on the other way for teams mm-hmm. like Virginia. Now, so first in the ACC, the number one seed, that means a double bye. Uh, that means UVA doesn't play till Thursday when it gets the winner of North Carolina State and Syracuse. Now, for us newspaper hacks, it's huge. It means Virginia oh, <laughs> will we'll have some deadline-friendly early games. That's uh, vital for us. For Virginia basketball, what does it mean, David? I'm not sure it means all that much. I mean, it's the, the accolades and, and, and the, for the program and, and for Tony Bennett and f- for them to be able to say, yes, we are ACC regular season champions, it, it means plenty. But in terms of moving forward and trying to win the ACC tournament and advance as, as far as possible in the NCAA tournament, you know, it, it – it, it's not all that meaningful. T- teams that were not top seeded in, in the ACC tournament have gone on to win national championships. Teams that were top seeded in the ACC tournament have exited March Madness c- quite quickly. So in, in, in that regard, there, there's not a, a whole lot there. But it does, you know, you, you want that double buy, which Virginia was locked into before that. And if, if the Cavaliers get NC State, you know, the, the Wolfpack will certainly have their attention after having beaten Virginia at, at JPJ in their most recent encounter. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and, and it didn't matter for first or second, was um, could you avoid Florida State until the championship game, mm-hmm. right? That's a bad matchup for UVA. We talked about that. Obviously, the Seminoles just uh, obliterated Virginia down in Tallahassee. They play much better at home, but th- that's always been a bad matchup. Uh, Virginia was already pretty safely avoiding the Seminoles till that round, so now you've got an opportunity maybe for somebody else to pull an upset there, uh, and you get to, <laughs> I hate to say it this way, but duck Florida State because uh, that's just not a great matchup for UVA now doesn't mean it's not a winnable matchup because man in all of this Virginia's been really good and, and Sam Hauser has been a huge part of that we'll talk about the all ACC and some of those honors a little bit later but David another huge game from Sam Hauser in this one yes oh my gosh and I don't think Louisville played bad defense I, I mean I, I I felt badly for the Cardinals a few times I mean Hauser just he was he had that look about him where he just knew he could get his shot 
whenever he wanted. And it was it was going in the season high in points, right? Twenty four. And I, I think that's what it's going to take for the Cavaliers to really have a memorable march. I think he needs to be more assertive because he is that good. Unbelievable some of the shots he hit. And, and it reminded me back in high school, I had a freshman basketball coach, uh, Coach Britton, who used to, you know, he used to rank you know good shots, bad shots. And um a contested mid-range kind of yeah. fallaway shot was yeah. way at the bottom of the list, right? Absolutely. Not just for me because I was terrible, even for good players. A, a mid-range contested fallaway jumper, that was for the end of the shot clock. That that wasn't for uh, anything in the flow of the offense. Hauser hit those consistently in this mm-hmm. game, and he, it's a shot he has uh, where he kind of leans in one shoulder, can spin over the other shoulder, um, give you a little head fake. He doesn't need much room. He doesn't need a clean look at the rim to hit that shot. It is, David, it, you know, to go back to like the old days with the, the sky hook, it's kind of an unguardable shot. Oh, yeah. Much like, and Virginia fans know this all too well, much like Matthew Hurt. <laughs> and at Duke and, and what he did to the Cavaliers at, at, at Cameron, you know, when he cocks that ball behind his head, you're not going to block it as long as he is. I mean, he doesn't elevate very high on his jump shot, but he doesn't need to. When it's, and, and he'll fall back and, and lean back and it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't really affect the shot's accuracy. So, yeah, Hauser He's, he's got that as, as part of his game. And, you know, Mike, we were talking earlier about Tony Bennett. And, you know, the one thing, of course, that his program is renowned for is defense. But he is remarkable, I think, in the way he adjusts to his personnel. In the history of Virginia basketball, Mike, the Cavaliers have never had a player who has shot at least 50% from the floor, 40% beyond the arc, and 80% from the line. This season, they have three guys on pace to do that. Hauser, Murphy, Huff. And Tony Bennett, he appreciates that. He has structured this team and this offense around those guys and their strengths. And Virginia is winning because of it. Yeah, you know, every year we talk about, hey, the defense is going to be consistent. And it is, and that's what's built this program. But you're right that every year I feel like I also write an article in in the preseason saying, what's the offense going to look like? And how many programs at the Power 5 level that are winning, right, consistently winning, can you say that about? That every year it's something different. You know, a few years back with Malcolm Brogdon, they talked about having the green light to run the floor more. Um, When they had, you know, Guy, Jerome, Hunter, that team, and that was an offense that was loaded all all the ways they could attack you this year, the way they've changed things up. And you know, I think they started out thinking it was going to be a lot of three point shots, especially Hauser, right? Hauser was going to just be cranking threes and they found ways to make him um, effective and impactful when the threes weren't going down early. Then when he got his stroke back, now you're seeing how he can take over a game. So I think it's remarkable. I think it's important for this team, the way Trey Murphy the third has come along. He said he was spurred on by some trash talk from his mom, who I guess we could say this on the podcast, who said he had sucked in recent years. Yes, days. how about that? Yeah. That's <laughs> hilarious. I saw your tweet and I was like, oh my gosh, way to go, mom. Speaking of things I'm looking forward to is today or tomorrow, I'll be speaking to his mom about that. And I'm I'm looking forward to uh, you know her take on how she got 
got him going. But he's been really big uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, Justin McCoy, we talked about the, the spark off the bench. So there's a lot of things coming together. And David, among them, as you mentioned, is that defense, which I spent a lot of time writing and talking this year about how the defense wasn't up to snuff for UVA standards. Well, it was damn good in the first half against Louisville. And um, do we feel like this defense is, is back to championship level? I don't know if it if for one day it was. That's <laughs> what Kihei Clark and Reese Beekman did to Carly Jones the other day. Few, if any, have done. What, what did he finish from the floor? Two for 15? Yeah. Two or, or, or three for something in, in that range. Um, at one point, I think he was one for 11. And, you know, that it was they just locked him down. And when Virginia's that good on the ball, they've always been good with hard hedging screen and rolls on the perimeter. They're usually very good at trapping the post. And when, when Clark and Beekman are that good on the ball, man, they are, they, they do at that point become championship caliber on defense. Well, that brings us nicely to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. We got Virginia now as the ACC's regular season champion. Take it or leave it. The Cavaliers are the team to beat in Greensboro this week. Let's start with Mike. I'm still going to give the nod to Florida State. Um, again, David referenced the unbalanced schedule. I talked a little bit about how lopsided that game was. I think Florida State regains that hunger. I think it's just a bad matchup for Virginia. So to me, uh, Florida State is the team to beat. Would I be stunned <laughs> if Virginia is the team cutting down the nets, assuming they're, they're allowed to do that this year? <laughs> Would I be surprised if they win the ACC tournament? Not at all. But team to beat, uh, if you're asking me right now, um, it's still Florida Florida State. It's still Leonard Hamilton. The depth, the athleticism. Uh, I think they're the team to beat in Greensboro. Thank you, Mike. David? I'm going to leave it as well, guys. And I'll tell you what, I don't think there is a team to beat. And, and here's a couple of nuggets for you. I don't know where Virginia will be ranked in this week's AP poll. We're still a couple hours from the release. We're recording this Monday morning. But the Cavaliers were what last week, Mike? 21? Yes, sir. If Virginia does not move up to at least 17, they will be the lowest ranked top seed in the history of the ACC tournament. Clemson was number 17 in 1990. This is, this is the first ACC tournament since 1996 that, does, that will not have a top 10 team in the field. And this is the first ACC tournament ever in which two teams below the first and second place teams have winning streaks of at least five games. NC State's won five in a row. Georgia Tech's won six in a row. I, I think I think we, we're going to see all kinds of nuttiness at the Greensboro Coliseum. Yeah, and that's not even taken into account. Is everybody going to be able to play? We, I mean, you, right. you still have the, the looming specter of uh, COVID contact tracing. Could it take a team out? We did get some good news on that front this morning. Mike Young uh, on the ACC Network saying that his team's back practicing. Uh, they're making the trip to Greensboro. The Hokies, who haven't played since February 27th, they're, they're going to be playing in this tournament as of right now. Uh, obviously, that's great news, not just for fans, but I think for everybody to, to have the tournament be a whole, at least at the onset. Uh, now, like like Virginia, Tech's not playing uh, until Thursday. They got a double bye. Unlike the Who's, as I mentioned, it's been a while since they've played. 
David, did COVID hit the tech program at, at the worst possible time or, or maybe the best? Because potentially tough games with Louisville and NC State were, were canceled due to this break, and that probably helped the Hokies end up as the number three seed. It probably did, Mike, but Virginia Tech did not play well coming off the last pause when it lost at home to Georgia Tech. Now, this all this break did allow Jalen Cohn, presumably, to completely heal from the ankle injury he sustained down at Miami. So I would expect that he'll be a full go on Thursday. But still, when you haven't played a game in more than two weeks, I just... I just think it's and and all and, and you may be playing say North Carolina that that very first game that's going to be a chore for Virginia Tech. Yeah, I guess the hope is that having gone through this once, maybe they're a little better prepared to come off the break. You know, Mike Young said they've been able to practice after that break. There were days that they only had four guys that right. they could practice with. Right? It sounds like they're a little more whole for practice. So hopefully that means uh, a little more physically ready. Right. We talked about this a lot on the show, but it's not just getting guys available on game day, but is this their first or second day back on the court? And are they going to get winded trying to trying to play? So hopefully tech is a little uh, more physically ready. They've been through this drill once. Uh, You know, we don't really know. I think what to expect. And like we talked about with Virginia a couple of weeks ago, when I did an article, I think it's fair to ask the question, how good is Virginia tech? Sure. They, they didn't play some of their big games. We, we mentioned that the two recent here, Louisville, NC state, they avoided Florida state. They avoided North Carolina and, uh, because of COVID issues. So what do you think, David, do we know how good the Hokies are? Heck no. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I really don't. I mean, I, I think they're a, a very good, basketball team can they be better than that in spurts i think they can can they be that consistently they haven't had the opportunity and man to have seen them twice against florida state to have seen them at chapel hill to have seen them at uva heck i wish they could have played that regular season finale at north carolina state as as well as the Wolfpack has been playing of late so no i i don't have any kind of good feeling. I misspoke earlier. I said they wouldn't have played in more than two weeks. It will be almost two weeks, I guess, by the time they get on the floor Thursday night, be two days shy of, of a couple weeks. But I, you can say this about a bunch of teams, but I would guess that Virginia Tech is the first team in college basketball history to enter its conference tournament having not played in 12 days. Yeah. I mean, that's right? bizarre. It's got to be. It's yeah. bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's, I mean, how, how, how are we supposed to handicap that? You know, where's Aaron McFarling when you need it? <laughs> we should bring back the segment, right? And it, well, it's a great question, too, because, you know, you go to the ACC tournament and all of a sudden you're playing every day. And that that's an adjustment, right? That's, that's part of the tournament feel. It's a little bit different. To go from playing not at all for two weeks to playing day after day after day if they advance. Um, it's going to be a challenge. And the draw, David, I think is a challenge because yeah. I talked about how they missed some of those big games, North Carolina, uh, Florida State. If the seeds hold, I believe that's the path the Hokies would navigate. They Absolutely. would get the Tar Heels. They would get the Seminoles uh, if they're going to reach the title game. So mm-hmm. taking that into account with everything else we just said, David, do, do you like their chances? No. 
I didn't. <laughs> I, I just. Right. I just don't. I mean, I sat here and looked at the bracket, and and of course, it's such a you know, it's it's a roll of the dice, and we'll probably end up with Virginia, Florida State in the final, and it'll be all chalk, and everybody'll say, <laughs> "See, you know, you guys don't know what you're talking about." I've got Georgia Tech and North Carolina in the final. I mean, I, I got the four seed against the six seed. So wide, completely wide open in, in your mind, yeah. which absolutely also brings us to perfectly to this week's edition of Who You Got. Thank you, Mike. This is a really good question. If it isn't Virginia or Florida State cutting down the nets this weekend in Greensboro, who is the most likely team to win the ACC tournament? Who you got? Let's start with David. Well, I just gave it away, didn't I? When I did my little bracket challenge here, I've got Georgia Tech and, and, and Carolina meeting in, in the final. You know, and Michael just, he'll cackle at this. I've been riding the Georgia Tech sure bandwagon for, for two sure years has. now. And why, you know, why jump off now? You know, if it's going to crash and burn, so be it. I'll, I'll be along for the ride. But uh, their Georgia Tech has some really, you know, we'll talk about the awards in a second, but they've got the player of the year in the league. They've got the defensive player of the year. They're really good. And I think they are absolutely capable of winning this thing. Thank you, David. Mike? So the team I'm most high on other than the two big dogs with Virginia and Florida State is still Louisville. Um, I, I think Harley Jones is the there kind of go. player who, even though he had a bad game, he, he could take over a tournament, right? Like that's the kind of stage where a guy like Harley Jones, he becomes the story in Greensboro. Um, here's the thing. I don't love Louisville's draw. Mm. I, I think they have a really – so I went into this saying I wanted Louisville to be my answer. Then I looked at the bracket and I said, no, I don't know. why." <laughs> um, and again, to David's point, we don't know what to expect. And, and I wouldn't count the Cardinals out, but um, that sort of dampened my spirits for that pick. I'm actually going to go with Clemson uh, in part because I like, I like their draw. But also, I, you know, this team's been through so much and they've been knocked down. They had some really tough games after breaks. Their defense, when they're in a rhythm, has been as good as Virginia's, at times better. Um, they're an amazing defensive team. They seem to be healthy and right right now. If their defense is rolling, I think kind of the reverse of what I said with Carly Jones, I think their defense could get them into the championship game. And, and once you're there, uh, anything can happen. So if it's not Virginia, if it's not Florida State, I wouldn't be t- stunned if it was Brad Brownell and Clemson. That would be historic. Clemson has never won an ACC tournament. Well, as we talked about at the opening, if there's one thing we know, when you go to Greensboro, you might see something you've never seen before. <laughs> we, we saw it last year, so maybe this year it'll be on a, a smaller and more positive scale, um, a team winning their first ACC title. Speaking of winning things in the ACC, the league announced its awards this morning. And David, I'll, I'll let you start. Where, where do you want to start with this one? Because we got all conference teams. We got players of the year, coach of the year. We have so much. Where do you want to start? Well, since we reside in the Commonwealth, why don't we start with the coach of the year? The coach of the year, which uh, I think is a surprise to no one. I had him on my ballot was Virginia Tech's Mike Young. And, uh, you know, this is just year two for Mike Young. And this was not a smooth year. And I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about the Tyrese Radford situation. I'm talking about the Jalen Cohen injury. Then you throw in everything with pauses in the pandemic. This was a rocky year. 
And I thought Mike Young, um, at an extremely high level, got it done really right from the start with that win uh, over Villanova that kind of served notice that, hey, uh, this team could be something special with the development of Keve Aluma, uh, the additions he made, uh, particularly Justin Mutz in the front court. Uh, really just almost a stunningly impressive job. Now, Virginia Tech was picked 11th in, in the preseason, uh, if I'm not mistaken, yes. going into the year. I was high on this team. I thought they'd finish eighth or ninth. Yeah, <laughs> that, I that was ninth. My, yeah, that was our take on, hey, you guys yeah. are undervaluing Mike Young and what this team can do. I think they could be eighth or ninth. I, in a million years, didn't see third. David, uh, first off, how surprised are you? And second, very deserving, yes, for Mike Young? Absolutely. Uh, I, I was and certainly not surprised at, at the outcome of the vote, but but am surprised at how close it was. Yeah. I mean, he got 26 votes, Leonard Hamilton received 24, which leads me to wonder, did Leonard Hamilton essentially lose coach of the year on Saturday mm-hmm. when, when, when the Knolls uh, fell at Notre Dame? I don't know how many folks waited. I always wait until the last game is played before voting. Now, full disclosure, I voted for neither Mike Young nor Leonard Hamilton. I voted for, for Josh Pasner. And with, with all this stuff, especially this season, there are no wrong answers. And Mike Young is absolutely deserving, as as would be Hamilton. And I think Pasner is. Georgia Tech was picked ninth, played, in my mind, the, the, the toughest schedule, conference schedule in the league, and went 11-6. and six. And is sitting there in the four seat going into Greensboro. But uh, to your point, it was a rocky year uh, in, in Blacksburg, as it was in, in, in many ACC locales because of, of COVID and, and other issues. But hats off to, to Mike Young, uh, who joined Seth Greenberg <laughs> as Virginia Tech ACC Coaches of the Year. Yeah, Mike Young, obviously a, a favorite of ours. He was the first. Uh, Coach to appear on this podcast, which we appreciated Absolutely. very much. Was a great interview. Friend of the show, as they like to That's say. That's the expression. You're right. I need to. I need to get my radio slash podcast lingo down. <laughs> I'm curious. Would pass? I, I I thought the vote would be very close, um, but I thought it would be Young and Pastner separated mm-hmm. by a couple votes. Uh, those are the two that it came down to for me. Looking back on Georgia Tech, you mentioned how tough a schedule they played. I wonder, they played so many close games. I mean, the two we saw with Virginia, but there were more. Um, so many close games. I wonder if that helped or hurt, Josh, um, in, in kind of not not finishing off those close ones. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a fair point. I, I don't know what, what, what sways different voters. And I, I'll tell you what, what else, Mike, and not that I mean, Josh is a is a good dude as well, but I, I think there's some genuine goodwill toward Mike Young and his story. And here's a guy who toiled for decades at Wofford and was patient and bided his time. And, you know, he, he pined for that Virginia Tech job because he's from Southwestern Virginia and he grew up going to Castle Coliseum and seeing the Hokies play. And it's just, I think other coach and coaches vote on this and, and media, I think they're all taken by that. And they, they looked at Mike Young and just thought, you know, not only did he do a great job, he's a great story too. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there's anybody who uh, isn't happy that Mike Young won this award, no matter who they voted for. That's just the kind of guy he is. Now, Georgia Tech did get one of the top awards, uh, a couple of them actually, but yeah. they got the player of the year in Moses Wright. Now, Moses Wright was not on my radar anywhere near my ballot with about two and a half weeks to go. He ended up getting my vote for player of the year. The right choice, so, <laughs> pun intended. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and what did you think of the way he came on at the end of the year? I believe, I think I heard this stat correctly on on Packer and Durham this morning, Mike. In the last six games, Moses Wright increased his scoring average by two points per game. Now, granted, there were fewer games this season, but that's still pretty amazing. I mean, he went off. And his close was so strong, including that, what, 30? Did he have 31? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I forget how, how many he had in that, that one against Virginia Tech, I believe. And he, he was so good late, double doubles, and I voted for him. And I, I, I think Champagny fin- finished second. And like you, he was not on my radar at all a couple of weeks ago. But. I, I think you have to take into account the, the the entire body of work, and you look at his numbers. He's one of the best defensive players in the ACC. Shoots an incredibly high percentage, so very efficient, and he just seemed to carry this team late and carried it to six straight wins. I think that matters as well. Yeah, in the middle of that run, there was twenty six points in the win over Virginia Tech. Okay, thirty thirty one in the win against Syracuse. Okay, that was twenty nine and fourteen rebounds in the win over Duke. The overtime win. So, um, yeah, in big games, really played big, caught everyone's attention down the stretch, and yeah, I, I think was a, was a good choice. Uh, Sam Hauser, who finished fourth in that voting. Um, I think I think you know Sam Hauser was a guy that. Uh, could have had player of the year numbers if he needed to, if that makes sense. He, he sure. seems to pick his spots. And um, I think you brought this up earlier, but it would be important, I think, in this postseason for Sam Hauser to pick more of those spots, right? <laughs> like <laughs> be a little less unselfish and just say, yeah. hey, I am that kind of player and I'm going to show it here for the next few weeks of March. Yes, ab- absolutely. Could could not agree more. It's kind of cool, Mike. I was I was looking back through the the ACC media guide. I was struck by who made first team, and you've got three seniors in Moses Wright, Sam Hauser, and Carly Jones at Louisville. That's the first time there's been three seniors on first team since 2013. That's that's that shows you how young college basketball usually is. But, you know, the old school guys kind of took over this year and said, get off the stage, kids. Sure did. And uh, it, then it begs the question for another future episode. But does that mean we're headed to another wide open year next year when <laughs> when so many of these top players are, are going to be moving on? Presumably, obviously. Oh, yeah. You see, that's the thing. <laughs> There's the option of coming back as well. Coming back, right. Uh, when you look at the all-conference teams, um, Anything jump out to you as as wrong, right? I'll tell you, um, it pretty much matched my, my ballot. I had Carly Jones on the second team and Kevin Aluma on the first team. Uh, other than that, I matched. Um, the toughest ones for me were, were, were Alvarado and, and Jones. I thought they were first team talents that just ended up on my second team this year. What what stood out to you? Yeah, I had uh, I had Alvarado instead of Jones on on first team. Hated leaving Keve Aluma off. Um, 
you know, Jay Huff deserves second team, I, I thought, and, and, and that's exactly where he landed. Amir Sims, second team, he, that's, that's a very solid choice. And, you know, I had Raekwon Gray of Florida State instead of MJ Walker of Florida State. That's, that's a coin toss because the Seminoles are such an ensemble cast to start with. So, no, I, I didn't have really any problems with the I'll, I'll tell you one thing I was I was disappointed in. We don't want to get, I guess, too far into the weeds here. I wish Wabisa Beatty had made the all-defensive team. I certainly voted for him. I think he was richly deserving, but he, he, did, he was not among the five. Yeah, and that was a little surprising because I think one thing for, for guys like us in the media when we vote for the defensive players, sometimes it is as simple as who's a great defense and then who's their defensive leader. Virginia Tech is a great defense this year. That, that's really what's elevated them. And Wabisa Beatty, uh, you know, he's the reason why. Now, Kevi Aluma is also fantastic on the back end, his ability to help and, and things like that. But uh, I'm with you on Beatty. I, I thought he uh, maybe underappreciated and maybe that gives him a little motivation. Now, before we wrap up, there's another tournament, the A-10 tournament that's Already in the books, most of it kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the A-10 played their tournament, but their title game is coming up uh, this coming Sunday. Wow. David, you had the chance to to cover some of this. What do you think of this format? Well, it it's strictly a, a COVID format <laughs> because they wanted to give teams a long runway in terms of NCAA protocol he- heading to Indianapolis. But just as we said, Virginia Tech is an almost certainly the first team in college basketball history to enter its conference tournament on a 12-day layoff. I believe the Atlantic 10 is the first conference tournament in the sports history to go eight days between its semifinals and its championship game. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, there there we sat Saturday night at the Siegel Center in Richmond, watching VCU and St. Bonaventure advance to the final, and they will not play until Selection Sunday at 1 p.m. in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, uh, it's it's tr- truly different. But I'll tell you what, for VCU, and, and Mike Rhodes spoke to this when, when R. Wayne Epps asked him a- after the game Saturday night after uh, VCU had advanced by beating Davidson in, in the semis, because – the Rams are banged up. You know, Bones Highland came back. He looked good, but still he's not in 100%. Vince Williams is definitely hurting, and you could tell it in the two games in Richmond, Friday and Saturday. This break is really going to help VCU. Yeah, I think win or lose, VCU is going to be the NCAA tournament field. Oh, and yes, no question. In, in a sense, better for them, not just the rest, but um, – they get a game then right before they head to Indianapolis in the tournament, as opposed to what would have been a really long break. And And teams can get rusty. Teams can get cold. So, David, before we bounce, how about that matchup? VCU, St. Bonaventure, uh, are they both in? And, and who do you like in the title game? Yeah, I, I really do think that they are both in, Mike. It would mark the 15th consecutive year that the A-10 becomes a, a multi-bid league. I, I covered both of the St. Bonaventure VCU regular season games, one remotely when it was up in Olean and then the other live at the Siegel Center. The first game was among the most bizarre you'll ever see. I mean, VCU's leading by double digits at halftime 
And the Bonnies outscored VCU in the second half, 45 to 14. I mean, it was, it was crazy how that game turned. And they just, they went inside to their big 6'10 kid, um, Ocean. Osuni is, I believe, how you say it. I, I knew I wasn't going to get that quite right. Uh, but they've got good guards in uh, in Holmes and Welsh. But then when, when they returned to the, to the Siegel Center, VCU played very well and and turned the tables and, and, and won a close game. And I'll tell you what, I, I'm really impressed about VCU. And it's a very young team. And you, you've get, you've got a backcourt of Ace Baldwin and Bone Highland, Bones Highland, a freshman and sophomore, respectively. But three times this season, VCU has had a chance to avenge an earlier loss: Rhode Island, St. Bonaventure, and most recently Saturday night, Davidson. And VCU's three and zero in those games. And I think for a young team. That's very impressive, and I'm I'm gonna go ahead and 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 be the hometown guy and inside with the Rams uh, in in Sunday's rubber match against the Bonnies. No doubt. And uh, since you stumbled a little with that pronunciation, do you want to tell us the name of Clemson's uh, quarterback next season? To- <laughs> DJ Uwe Ungalale. There's I've got my that man. Down. <laughs> He's got that one. <laughs> hey, we got to pour one out for your alma mater before we sign off today. Oh. JMU, what a what a great season for Mark Byington, uh, leading that program to the top of the CAA, and then just devastating to lose your best player, uh, the player of the year, and Matt Lewis at the end with the injury and knocked out of the CAA tournament in, in a close game, David, by Elon. Yeah, by, I, I forget if, if the Phoenix was the eight or nine seed, but yeah, to exit the CAA tournament on your home floor mm. in the quarterfinal as the top seed, yeah, that's that's a crushing blow uh, to, to to the Dukes. I, I felt badly for them, and it ended in a, in a controversial manner uh, with, with a, a technical foul that was to safe to say sketchy. Yeah, and just you know, for going through a year like this, you just hope that none of that stuff plays in the injuries, the questionable call. Everybody's been through so much, but I think the future's bright there with, with Byington at, at JMU. So uh, Duke's fans and and alums like you and my wife <laughs> uh, can, can take uh, comfort in that for sure. No question. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.